Hi there, friends, and welcome to this episode of Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed Senior thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Amelie Andreas, and today we welcome anthropology major Anesu Ndoro all the way from Zimbabwe. Anesu will be sharing with us his research on the sometimes paradoxical relationship between Black conservatives and the Republican Party. Hello, my name is Anesu Ndoro. I'm from Chegutu in Zimbabwe. Um, and when I was studying at Reed, I was majoring in anthropology with a minor in French. And then what is the name of your thesis? So the name of my thesis is Family Matters, um, Black Conservatives and Political Belonging in the Republican Party. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. So we've got like this unit of the family, we've got this concept of belonging, and then we have this big thing that like a lot of people in America have been thinking about a lot in the like recent years, which is like the Republican Conservative Party. So how do these all come together in your thesis? Kind of give me like the Netflix blurb of what you are putting down into this paper and what you're talking about here. Yeah, so in in a brief way, um, my thesis is looking at what Black conservatives think about the nuclear family and why. And it's essentially looking how Black conservatives, Black conservatives navigate belonging and status within the Republican Party and how that's tied to sort of their views about family-making practices within the United States. Um, so that's where sort of, you know, you know, issues about like belonging come in is sort of this idea that there is an interaction or um, there's a relationship between blackness, um, between sociopolitical ideologies about belonging, and as well as sort of conservative political participation. Mm. So how did you kind of start thinking about um, all of these different factors that we're trying to find a connection between? How did you start thinking about them in the same place? Like, is there some kind of personal significance or like a classic read that kind of got you started on this path? Yeah, so the classic read, I think, that was most influential in me going down the um, rabbit hole of trying to like figure out why like people become conservatives and how they navigate their own belonging within the party was an anthropology class I took with Professor Anand Faidia uh, in the anthropology department. And it, I think it was like Anthropology 390, if I'm not mistaken, uh, called Comparative Fascisms. Mm. And we didn't, yeah, and we, we didn't really talk that much about conservatives, but what we did talk about a lot was how fascism looks really differently, uh, sort of like, depending on which, in which part of the world you're in, which is something I think people often take for granted. Mm -hmm. We often think that like fascism looks exactly the same everywhere and has the same motivations, but what fascism looks within like Hindustani movements in India or what it looks like within um, sort of clientelistic politics in Zimbabwe where I met mm -hmm. um, and what it looks like within the United States is really different. And so from there, like just through readings, um, one of the things that like kept coming up was the fact that like people who often, if 
if we put it in this way, like people who would be would stand to lose the most if fascism mm. was to win, where the people were like actively participating in it. Wow, yeah. So that that yeah, which is like weird. Because it was like, mm-hmm. you know, if 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 people get their way with this political ideology, you stand to lose so much. So what is your stake in this? Mm-hmm. And from there, I'm sort of looking at sort of my own position in the United States. So this was my first time leaving the country of Zimbabwe and coming to the U.S. for college. And, you know, Zimbabwe was a settler colonial state up until 1980, meaning to say that, like, the ideas of colonialism and racism Mm -hmm. and the like were, were things that I was already thinking about. But I didn't think of Blackness in the same way that it was being configured by, like, my peers. Ed Reed. Mm-hmm. So that was the thing that got to me once. Like, I know I'm a Black person and I know what Blackness means within the context of Zimbabwe, but it seems to mean something very different here. And not only that, right, but it seems as if that within the context of the United States and the history of like the presence of Black people within the United States, you have a lot of people in the Republican Party which you know, often pushes policies that, like, hurt a lot of, like, Black American people the most. Mm-hmm. So kind of that then picked my interest. I was like, okay, fine. I have this thing I'm learning in this class. And then I have all these questions I also have as a Black person in the U.S. How can I sort of come up with a thesis topic that would better explore reactionary politics, but with the specific lens of political minorities participating within that. And I thought it crystallized well within like the conservatives. I really love how you've kind of got this connection here between an like academic interest that you had and finding this kind of paradox of these people who are supporting fascist governments are the very people who are going to like be hurt the most if they succeed, but also connecting it to this kind of personal perspective that you have as, you know, someone coming in from outside of the US and then observing like the racial dynamics that we have going on here from like kind of this this unique perspective. So it's cool that you managed to combine the personal and academic sides of that. Kind of going more into this academic side, I'm curious because this question you're looking at is something that you could maybe look at from like a sociology perspective or maybe even from a history perspective. Like I'm curious what drew you to the anthropology major? And also maybe how this impacted like the way that you were looking at this issue in your thesis. So before I even came to read, I was sort of already interested in the idea of anthropology, although I don't think I thought of it as such during the time. Um, My interest was mostly in like something completely unrelated, like traditional Zimbabwean music. Um, wow. Yeah, because there's this sort of situation we have where, uh, because uh, Zimbabwe was part of the British Empire, um, I think we were like the last country to sort of officially get our independence from from the British Empire. We we have a very complicated relationship with our own sort of like cultures, music, traditions, and the like because it was often sort of stigmatized to be practicing those kinds of things and not just stigmatized, but like put into law 
that like you cannot be playing this music, you cannot be gathering in these places to do A, B, C, D. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to investigate the effects of that now, that, you know, the, the country has gained its independence. Fine, we just celebrated 41 years of independence in like April. Yay, <laughs> <laughs> right? But at the same time, it's at the same time, it's like you can still see the residue if we can call it mildly the residue mm-hmm. or rather like the after effects mm-hmm. of like that occupation from like the 1800s up until the 1980s, you can then see like, oh, a lot of people are still like holding on to some of these ideas that developed because of like colonialism. And so I wanted to investigate that. And then when I came to read, I went to, cause like during, you know, orientation, you get a chance to meet with professors from various departments. And when I walked into like anthropology and started talking to some of the professors, I remember, I think I was speaking to Professor Charlene uh, Magby and like, was that Betsy Breda? Mm-hmm. And it just clicked. It was just like, we had a really productive conversation. And I was like, you know what? This, this is it. This is where I'm going to go. And also just the flexibility of the field itself that uh, you have people working in anthropology or like in tech or who are mm-hmm. doing stuff with music or with architecture or with politics. Uh, it really gives you the leeway to investigate things very broadly. And you, you, are, you sort of have the allowance to bring in so many different kinds of academic disciplines into that. It's like an interdisciplinary discipline. Exactly. I mean, anthropology, right? Like it's the study of humans and humanity. And there's... I, I mean, personally, I think there's like a ton of fascinating things that humans or humanity have been up to. So there's definitely a lot of like awesome stuff to go into there. So the next thing I'm wondering is kind of what did your process look like when you were going through this? Was it a lot of personal interviews? Were you actually talking to a lot of Black conservatives or more reading, a little bit of everything? I found it difficult to come up with a straightforward, a clear-cut process for everything mm-hmm. I was doing, partly because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, because you couldn't really engage with people. I mean, at the time that I was mostly doing my primary research, this was like in September, October 2020, mm-hmm. where even the idea that the vaccine was out wasn't, like a lot of people were still very skeptical about it. You couldn't do any in-person interactions, yeah. just like by mandate of the department. I mean, even at school, you wouldn't even visit people in the same, like in different residence halls mm-hmm. or in rooms in the same residence hall. So this is kind of like where I was. So I had to do a lot of stuff online. Mm-hmm. And I started gravitating towards reading texts published by the like, conservatives themselves, particularly with this idea of like trying to understand how they are representing their own ideas kind of straight from the horse's mouth type of situation. Mm -hmm. So that's what I ended up doing was I ended up reading books by like Candace Owens, um, Larry Elder, and so forth um, to to sort of get a better understanding, but also paired up with, of course, a lot of like readings within the anthropology department about Mm -hmm. belonging, about families, about sort of like specifically um, the history of Black family-making practices within the United States, starting from like the enslavement of African people 
up until the present day. And sort of like the ideologies that have come forth from that is sort of the state tries to justify its violence in many ways towards, you know, the communities within the U.S. So that's what it ended up doing, was it ended up being a lot of repeating what people have written and, you know, also watching a lot of YouTube videos, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think was like sometimes actually the more difficult, um, the most difficult part of it, mm-hmm. just because it's, you know, with reading, you write your notes down and you can say, mm, I don't know about this idea, but you get a chance to deconstruct it as you read it. Whereas when someone is just saying things on a YouTube video mm-hmm. and, you know, it's stirring up a lot of emotions in you, it can become very difficult to p- keep track of what they're saying, which I think was like a skill I had to develop throughout that process. Yeah, no kidding. It's really difficult to like conduct research when it's something that is also like personally meaningful. So it's it's really impressive that you kind of managed to keep that anthropological distance while still dealing with something that's kind of close to the heart. What kind of ended up being the outcome of this project in terms of like personal outcomes or what like research findings you ended up concluding? Oh, and that's a good question. If anyone's wondering, I have not published a book yet (laughs) or anything like that. (laughs) It's on the list. It's It's on on the the list, list. (laughs) you know, in in coming years, I guess. Um, But I would say like probably the biggest outcome of the entire experience of having to write a thesis about this specific topic was realizing how little I actually knew about sort of the Black experience in the United States. Um, That there isn't, I mean, I say Blackness, but really, I guess like a more accurate thing would be like various forms of blackness, mm. right? Depending on which part of the country someone comes in or like comes from, or which sort of like, like are they a religious person or are they not? Are they a person who leans very left or very right? Are they a person who lives in the rural areas or in the city? Are they a person whose parents were like immigrants to the United States or are they like a descendant of people or enslaved in the United States, um, is the person an immigrant themselves? Is this person an expat in a different country? Getting sort of this understanding that part of the reason why it's so complicated to discuss issues around sort of like blackness in the United States is that in as much as the state looks at and treats blackness as this monolithic thing that is, you know, sort of understood, policed, Mm -hmm. reproduced, and consumed in all these different ways, the people themselves, they don't think of it that way. And that's the thing, particularly with Black conservatives, they really do think of being a Black person in a very different way than a lot of people, for example, that I were friends with at Reed. And that shaped sort of what they thought was permissible, or rather, Mm -hmm. what they think is permissible for a Black person to do. And for a black person, and forms that like a black person may participate, but that all of that is also happening in the backdrop, in which you know dominant white society in the United States already has this sort of like stipulations of how people are supposed to participate within their own identities. So you have like this dual thing where it's like within this like idea or within this identity of blackness, 
people have all sorts of like different ideas of how you're supposed to be a black person and by you know extension how you're supposed to participate politically mm-hmm. but then when you move outside of that that like you know the state the united states itself also has its own ideas about how black people are supposed to participate and like people become caught in between those kinds of things mm-hmm. so so kind of coming to that realization that i've written this like document probably the longest thing i've ever written oh yeah <laughs> in my entire life um just like shy of 130 pages of actual like document that i still i i actually don't know that much i i think i've only started scratching at the surface but that there's still a lot to like unpack here and it's gonna take a while well, I've heard that you have to know a certain amount to be aware of how much that you don't know. So I think you're definitely moving on up there. And <laughs> you're you. way past anything that I have ever I've I've been educated so much just from listening to you talk about your thesis. Thank you. <laughs> to kind of finish up the interview, uh, do you think you could talk a little bit about maybe like either how your thesis experience has impacted your life after read because i know you're back in zimbabwe and doing some pretty cool things there i've heard um and then maybe one little piece of advice to future readies who might be doing their own theses um yeah i mean certainly i think one of the, the like the immediate things that i think the thesis experience like changed for me was for better or worse um sort of increasing my tolerance level for paying attention to someone speaking about something I don't really agree with. Mm. And I don't want to like say it in this sort of like fluffy, let's get, let's all get along kumbaya type thing where I'm just like, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like that there's something irresponsible in doing that and just saying platform and listen to everyone because it is good to get all perspectives. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying though is that I am the sort of person on my journey sort of trying to get to the like trying to get to this point where I can not only listen to what a person is saying but like to listen so attentively that I may be able to at least begin to deconstruct the logic with which someone is thinking something right so that it's not just I disagree with a b person because they think this and I think something else, but that mm-hmm. the reason where, like where that disagreement is stemming from is this, um, which I don't know, like was kind of difficult for me initially, I think in my very, at the very beginning, because I didn't really have like the language of like politics within the United States. And also just like, just because English is my second language and it's already, that comes with its own complications. Um, but I, I really think that this, like writing this thesis was good for me in the sense that like it, I was kind of by necessity forced to sit down and find effective strategies in which I can like listen, but also that I, I shouldn't ignore sort of the strong emotional response I get to things. Because mm. it's not just like, oh, I became very like emotional about this, but it's like trying to analyze why. Where is that coming from? And what might that tell me about myself? Mm-hmm. And maybe also how I'm listening to this person. Um, and then, yeah, just 
if you happen to be writing a thesis right now, first of all, I wish you the best. Um, you're going to do this. Countless people have written their thesis, theses, theses <laughs> before, and you're going to get through this, even though it might not always feel like that in the moment. It's going to work if you seek support from your professors, your friends, the school. I think like it's going to be really helpful for you. So also just take it easy on yourself. Um, you know, try to try to actually, you know, relax, drink plenty of water, <laughs> um, actually eat your meals. I know these things feel basic, but these are some of the things we often forget to do when we have like a really sort of like task which feels like monumental. And also just knowing that it's not going to be perfect. Um, you're not going to get to a point where you're like completely 100% happy with it, but you can get to a point where you can see your work and your effort being reflected in your writing. And I think that's often the most important thing is sort of kindness to yourself throughout the process. A healthy dose of self-care is never a miss, especially with something as intense as thesis on your plate. Thank you so much, Inesu, for sharing your experience perspectives and I hope that our listeners learned as much from you as I did. And thank you as well to all of our listeners who took the time to tune into this episode. I hope you'll join us again to hear from more alumni and students about what it means to burn your draft. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. The views, information, or opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Reed College. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Amelie Andreas. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janaga. Our project manager is Nate Martin, staff member and class of 2016. Music by Jack Salvucci, Class of 2020, and podcast art by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.